Now you've just got Simon. No, that's you. Okay, now you want. Now you've got Simon. That's Simon. Yeah. Okay, good. By the way, I'll just say something so you know that this is recording yeah. when you get it. Okay, cool. Good stuff. All right. This is episode number 53 of The Full English Breakfast. I'm Macaulay Peterson, and I'm in Batumi, Georgia, covering the Chess Olympiad and the FIDE Congress for ChessBase.com. On the show today, we'll take on both of these events with International Master Lawrence Trent and Grandmaster Simon Williams in a conversation recorded early last week. So this is episode number 53, and it's been about six months since episode number 52. Yeah. Um I I hesitate to say that this is the new normal, but this might be the new normal. <laughs> well, good thing comes to those who wait, don't it? You know? Yeah. The good um, news is that I've got Lawrence Trent here in the Chess Bay studio with me. Is that good news? So well, it's it's good news because it means that uh that was two thirds of the of the triangle <laughs> so that we could that we could have uh recording together and, and logistics uh gets easier in that, yeah. in that case. And we've got a nice, quiet studio to record in, too. So both of those things are good. Simon, you're joining us from home. Sure I am. take it. Yeah. From home in my little studio. So all good. You've been absolutely rocking the live streaming and commentary circuit uh, these past uh, months. Tr- trying to do a bit, uh, along with Lawrence, I think. We're both sort of uh, doing similar things, you know, where twitching away uh, and that's not yeah. a new dance move and um also where uh, youtube i'm twitching away. i'm twitching every every night you're twitching a, every a, night i bet you are Lawrence, yeah, but are you, oh, is that work wise not in a good way not oh, okay. in a good way i'm developing a twitch yeah um, i got mine a long time ago yeah we've been doing you know it's it's a bit of a grind as you know so si. it's you've got to put in the hours and the volume and you've got to be entertaining you know, uh, and it's it's tough, but it's it's nice to see communities grow. And I know you, you're doing especially well, Simon. I mean, well, I feel your we're both doing all right. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's quite an exciting time for chess publications in this way in chess media because you know this is something that's only become possible in our lifetimes. You know, basically what we're doing is we're doing our own TV shows, aren't we? That people can tune into. And um, anyone can do it really nowadays with technology, and it's quite exciting. You know, um, it is quite hard work, and it's not particularly well paid at the moment. <laughs> but it's something that I suspect we're both hoping to build up and sort of share our love for chess with other people. So it's yeah, a cool thing. It's gonna it's gonna take a, a while crafting it. But if you look at some of the top streamers out there. I mean, in the chess world, obviously, the top stream is the chess bras. They are they are the guys who attract the biggest audiences Definitely. in Lord, chairs. Can I ask mm. you a question um, very quickly? How many subscribers do they have? Because someone told me they had a phenomenal number of subscribers. I don't know, is the, okay. is the honest answer. Someone said if they're making 50,000 a month, which I didn't really believe, but that's what someone no, told me. No, but 50,000 a month means that they're going to be having about 10,000 subscribers, which is just not true. Okay. Okay. They might. They. I. I mean, they could easily be doing, you know, ten thousand a month or something like that. Um, but fifty yeah. feels like a lot. 
Yeah. Well, and also uh, subscribers, of course. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of chess platforms that have subscribers, but you're you're talking if your sole subscriber count is based on Twitch streaming. Yes. Anyway. So it's basically subscribers yeah. on Twitch pay a nominal fee, normally four ninety nine US dollars a month, to support the channel, and the top streamers out there. If you just look at Twitch in general. Uh, you know, if you start making thousands of subscribers and produce a stream regularly and stream every day, we're talking about huge amounts of money that you can generate in revenue. Um, and then you have all of the other things as well, from sponsorship to donations to. But this is a brand new phenomenon. I mean, it's like in the completely last year. brand. It's completely well, new. Past, Pretty much. Past few years, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. One guy that I remember watching on Twitch maybe a year, two years ago, was a guy involved in poker. His name's Lex Veldhaus. And uh, he started off extremely small and he's worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And now he's bringing in audiences of 15,000, 20,000 a time. And he just broke the 7,000 subscriber. Level, which is which, massive money, massive yeah. money, yeah. And yeah. that's. You Do know, you think, Loz? Because yeah, I, I was thinking about this, and obviously, uh, chess is a fresh start, new thing for chess. Yeah. And at the moment, mainly, you know, it has to be said, chess.com and the main sort of backers yes. for this, they they got involved with Twitch. They're doing yeah. quite a lot of cool stuff. Do you think this is something that the numbers will build up? I mean, I think it's got a lot of potential. Yeah, but I'm. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to reach the level of like you know poker, and especially not of stuff like Fortnite. So I'm I'm wondering yeah. how niche the market is. I mean, there's a lot of chess lovers out there, but it's not the Aegon number of whatever fancy world they. No, do. and also so, you've got to remember a lot of chess players aren't that. Let's let's be honest, computer adept, if I can use that word. I mean, a lot of players who love chess aren't from the digital era, whereas all of the Fortnite people and all of the poker people are pretty yeah. much online creatures. So yeah. there's a huge chunk of the audience that will never, ever get access to this. That said, if you can start bridging the gap and start marketing chess as an eSport, which is essentially what it is, it's the original eSport, it's actually the perfect eSport. There is nothing better than online chess, right? You can do everything with online chess. Um, and that's what chess.com have uh, have understood, then you can start pushing it and it's going to be slow. It's going to be a slow grind. But who knows? If you start getting the right exposure and the right channels, then... Uh, I agree. Totally agree. Know. No, I agree with you, Loz. And um, if you just look at what the chess bras have done, and as you yeah. say, I think they're the leading For sure. leading, leading people. I mean, they're, they're cool, they're young, they're popular, they attract different crowds to chess, which traditional chess sort of i would say celebrities or whatever created they're, yeah. they're, they're bringing a young crowd who uh you know like partying to to their streams um yeah. and it, it's showing that chess does have a wide audience and uh, this is the future of chess isn't it really i, I, I think so. uh, you know online you know blitz matches uh, stuff like this obviously there's always going to be traditional stuff but i mean i, I think this is the and you way know what's next don't you you know what's next a few years down the road i don't know how many years but virtual reality streaming um you know yeah. you, you you step into an arena where you can see the ginger gm you know play a real real over the board game in virtual reality and still have you know yeah your entire ch chat yeah. and everything like that i mean uh in fact poker stars just released some kind of uh, virtual reality 
concept. Yeah, it's uh, exciting times. It's I exciting. Mean, it is because yeah, it the you know it's only our lifetime. Augmented reality, is... maybe we're going to go to yeah. first. Where it is, but I don't it's know exciting. Where it's go. Who knows? Exciting. I agree. The, yeah. One of the interesting things about chess is that it has so many different demographics. I mean, this is we're talking about basically the the chess is a sport uh, element of of chess, and it certainly is true that uh, that is going to appeal more to younger demographics, which is what they're focusing on, which is which is great, but probably. Still, at the moment, the you know the chess as a science, the chess as a as a intellectual uh, exercise is something that is still bigger. I would say as a, as a whole, and that's uh, also going to tend to have the demographics skew a bit older. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's not it's sort of a question of where is the where is the growth, and that might you might be right. You might be right that the growth now is going to be at this younger, more sports oriented level. Yeah. Um, I think so. I mean, I think Magnus Carlsen and Fabiano and young sort of chess celebrities like this, I mean, are helping that, especially in Norway. If you look at the up-and-coming chess lovers in Norway, they're, they're very young people generally. Um, and, and remember, Sai, so, they're actually streaming. I mean, Fabiano and Magnus they have are. both streamed. They are. It's fantastic. They are. It you is. know, it's so that they, they, they are going to be the drivers in this as well. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, it's great. It's exciting. Well, this wasn't actually on my on my agenda for this show, but <laughs> but Lawrence, let me ask you a question. Yeah. If you were to chart the uh, the the amount of minutes you spend streaming on Twitch to the Bitcoin price, is there an inverse correlation? God, don't start. I mean, it's just been such a dreadful past six months. Um, just well, in every been, way. It's been very pulling your channel, I mean, left and right, whipsawing. It's uh, just been so disgusting. I've just uh, got to say one thing about yeah. this. Um, about six months ago, I, I got involved with Lawrence yeah. um, on the Bitcoin market. And um, yeah, I, I got in at the right time, didn't I, Loz? <coughs> no, it was more like May, June so oh, okay. when you came in. Well, but, there was a low in February. There was a low in June. Let's there was put a low it like last this. Month. Simon and I have both been getting mauled by the markets um, uh, and it's been actually a very stressful time there was even one period during the British Championships where we got so out of control that I was just on edge I, I had to make a serious decision to completely change my what I was doing and so my missus she's basically threatened to leave me um, if I continued at the pace I did with charts and being on it all the time obsessed mm -hmm. you know I was yeah, completely yeah. I was completely I was obsessed to leave you. no I was completely obsessed <laughs> you so, know. so you know and then, then are you are you streaming to you know are you more inclined to be streaming when when it's uh, crashing and you realize but that you know that's happened to me your... loads of times as well where I've been streaming and there's just been a huge move in the market that I've either missed or blah 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 suddenly you blunder your queen no, I just no, I just let the game go because it's like, <laughs> oh, it's just dumping five hundred points here, and I'm just, you know, it's just been very testing, and I, I, it, it's really unfortunate because back in March, April, it was going extremely well, and since May, it's just been shit. And I, I, you know, I, I apologize to Simon, I apologize to Stephanie, and everybody else who's 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 entrusted. But Loz, I, I think whenever you get involved with these things, it's it's a punt. 
it's a bit of a gamble, and you, you never know what's going to happen, and uh, that's what happens. Especially so anyway, I, I don't want to talk about that. No, I'm, I mean it's just it's just Let's it's just too to tiring. Chess. Let's get back to chess. I, I started off saying this was going to be a short one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, well, maybe we'll just release a two-hour. <laughs> no, but let's. No, I mean I don't know. I don't know how much of our audience is, is also interested yeah. in uh, in Bitcoin stuff uh, either. But uh, well, okay. Yeah. We'll see. But uh, but let's talk the Olympiad because. Yeah. Uh, the Olympiad is just getting underway as we're recording this, and um, I think it's going to be a really exciting tournament. I would say th- the only uh, sort of pity is that we don't have Magnus Carlsen mm-hmm. playing this yeah. year for Norway, but we do have Vishianan coming back That's true. after, what, 12 years or something, or even longer I'd, uh, for, for playing board one for India, and, as res- and India was already... You know, one of the top teams they've scored a bronze in in recent years, um, and so I think that that will be uh, very interesting. But uh, but we've also got the first time that Russia is not the top seed. Yeah, of course it's very close at the top. The the top teams are are each separated by eight Elo points on the rating average. So it's they're basically neck and neck. And uh, yeah, the U.S. team number one for the first time. What do you guys think? Uh, who's 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 the the nominal favorite, and uh, who are the dark horses? Well, I I I I have my mind very set on this. Obviously, the U.S. are still favourites. Um, all the top guys are in form, especially Fabi, and wouldn't surprise me if they won it again, like they did last time around. Um, I don't get the feeling that Russia will win it, uh, even though they're second seed. I don't know. I just feel like they lack some kind of cutting edge in their team. They have a very strong team, but they they don't have. Uh, the the sort of guy who can just score huge on one board, in my opinion. So I, I don't even think Russia will... Um, they might get third or something, but I, I don't see them actually really performing. Um, India is a really interesting concept. Uh, co- prospect, I should say. Not concept. Prospect. Uh, with Vichy obviously back. He's a fantastic board one to have solid. And what I like about India is they have... Three very dangerous guys from boards two to four. Harry Krishna, Vidit and Adiban. Three very dynamic, young, uh, hungry players. And then they've got Krishna and Sashish Kehran, who you can throw in there as a sort of, you know, a draw maker if you need them. So I think India are actually going to make a stab at things. China will be there, obviously, as well. They've got their same old, same old team um, with uh, Ding Lirin, Yu Yang Yi, Wei Yi, you know, standard guys um but for me the dark horses for outperforming their position and their rating average and all of that is actually iran you know what loz even two years ago i mentioned iran um amazing as amazing team. the women's and the men's actually section because iran to me is one of their well they're, they're the nation that's probably improving the fastest out of any chess nation in the world due to the support they're giving. They pretty much got Ivan Sokolov over there, you know, full-time teaching them. He's a great trainer and many others. So they, they got great backing. They're very dedicated. They are, they're, I, I totally agree with you. Iran at the moment will outperform their seeding, but in the future years, they could be, give it 10 years, they could be one of the yeah. leading nations in the world, no I think. No question. They're going to do an Armenia, in my opinion. You know, remember Armenia for years. Yeah. Even though they had yes. Levon and Sargissian and whoever, they were never top seeds. They were never ever even close to top seeds, but they just won it time and time again. They had a very strong 
um, bond within the team. And I think Iran mm. have got that. And what I love about this, you've got this Parham. And now I've been going on about this kid for you, months. You love this kid, don't you? The this guy who, kid. The guy who works like 20 hours a day. But I mean, he, he might work 20 hours a day, Simon. I've played him online. Right, and I've played uh, Fir- uh, Ali Reza Firuza. I've played both of them online, ton tons of times. I've got as close to zero as you can get. I mean, I think I've got zero. Wow! In like over twenty five games. So just just for the listeners who are not uh, living and breathing chess results, Iran is seated number twenty three going into the Olympiad, and we're talking about their board number one, Parham Magsudlu, yeah. who just uh, won the World Junior Championship. Yeah. Actually, crushed the World Junior just, Championship. Just just you know, he's on he's on nine and a half out of ten in the World Junior Championship. This is like Garry Kasparov. This is you know, just 1980s. and he is just brimming with confidence. He, I think Simon, he's even touched 2,700 now. I think with that result and a previous yeah, result. Yeah, I think he... He's I like 2,700 mm, now. I agree. Is, You've yeah. got Ali Reza, who's 2,600. Yeah. You've got the young yeah. uh, grandmaster also, Tabatabai, who's fantastic. Yeah. And he's yeah. bored free. You're telling me these guys aren't going to start bashing up people? I mean... Well, you know, another another thing, Loz, is the Olympiad, famous partying place to be. And... Uh, yeah. Uh, the Iran team, they don't drink so much, do they're they? Not gonna, you know, they're not going to be there, that's for sure. You know, it, it sort of does, you know, comp- you know, that does make an influence over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're very well, I don't talented. think the Chinese are heavy drinkers. The Chinese aren't no, heavy drinkers. No, but that's how well, they I want mean, it. I don't think they? the Americans so. are going to be heavy drinkers. In the no, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, I'm thinking of, maybe I'm just thinking of, I'm just trying to find a team which are, actually. But, um, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're What's the, first, the English team? Is the first heavy drinker? Well, England, England sensible, I mean... We're, you know. we're 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 seeded ninth, and I think if we get that position, it will be a fantastic result. I, I just don't even see us getting close to ninth because I um I don't know. I just you know what can I say? I love the boys, and I really want them to do well. And John Nunn is the captain this year, which might add some inspiration. But I just yeah, I just I just don't see us. Yeah, we we've struggled on the big stage for years and years. We really need. Well, I think we need an inspired performance by both David and Gawain. I think you can rely on Mickey to get get a Mickey yeah. result, but you need Gawain and David to just yeah really I, pull it out. I mean, I'd love obviously I'm the same with you, Lars. I mean, I'd love to see England uh, do fantastically well. Being well, we both know all the members of the team well. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, David, Gwen, and Nicholas Pert, I'd say, and Luke, and you know, uh, Mickey. I don't know him so well, but I know him reasonably well, and they're they're, they're a great team. But it seems in previous years, and this is maybe even going back to the eighties. I say previous years that the team spirit in the England team, and I think this mm. is the key thing. For yeah. Olympiad, it's not necessarily the individual players; it's the spirit. And one yeah. team you, you you didn't mention, I think, previously was France. Yeah, um, good call. I mean, France have this fantastic team spirit with their their captain, you know, and the whole team just bonding together so well. And for an event like this, I know from you know previous years and the rumours I've heard, there's there's quite a lot of sort of bickering um, going on, unfortunately, and mm. this affects the play. If someone loses in the team, you support them. And, um, you know, you, you, this is something that's so important. And you mentioned Armenia, another team with that spirit. I also think India are going to be a real yeah. contender, as you say. If I was a betting man, I would, uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm not, but I would put a sneaky bet <laughs> on India being the fifth seeds. 
just because they have the, this, again, you can tell their team spirit is amazing. I think this counts for a lot. Their players are incredibly talented, hard workers. So I I would say India for me as an outside bet. And, but yeah. as the main guys, then, of course, you've got to beat America. Russia, I'm like you, they're lacking a little bit. I mean, you, we saw recently they had... Um, they just met up with Putin, put a bit of extra pressure on on them as well to perform. But yeah. um, I hope they're not in fear of their lives if they do badly. But um, you know, just uh, or maybe they'll take a little trip to England. No, who knows? But no, I think I think it's going to be America and then India. But I, I'd love to see England do well. But you're right; they need to sort of perform better than they have done in, in previous years to do that. Definitely. Um, I mean, there's bickering even going back to the days of Tony Mars, wasn't there? Uh, of course. Yeah. You know, Trent, there was lots of fighting going on in the English team, which is such so what, a shame. What, what really. fighting is going on in the English team? Well, I mean, I'm not sure that there's so much. I mean, I, I don't know the ins and outs, but it, there never seemed to be incredible harmony from what I well, I think heard. it'll be better this year because there's a player missing in the team. Yeah, there's a certain player missing who's doing And I think there'll hardly be a lot more. Higher yeah. than it has yeah. been. Yeah. Uh, let's just put it that way. Um, <laughs> Lawrence is missing. Yeah, I'm missing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by the way, Azerbaijan, we should never rule out. Uh, you know, an informed Shak Mamajarov can't be bad. You've yeah. got Timur Rajabov, board two, who you can basically, you know, guarantee that he's going to make a draw pretty much every game if you want him to. Then you've got a very dangerous Arkady Nidic and Ralph Mamedov. Uh, mm-hmm. On three and four, so Azerbaijan as well could be, you know, it, that their, perfor- there. yeah, their performance is going to rely solely on Arkady Nidic. Can I also say, I mean, I've never been to an Olympiad in my life, and uh, everyone I know who's been, and I, I, I'm going to ask both of you guys if you have, but they tell me that whole experience of having so many different chess nations, and and just not just the big guys, but you know, the the, the teams. The low, you know, the teams which you, you you know don't don't ever feature in any other anything else. They all get together. The partings great. The atmosphere is great. Have either of you experienced an Olympiad before? I have. Yeah. Um, I've been to Dresden in 08, Istanbul in twelve, Tromsø in fourteen. We were doing the webcast, and uh, I actually didn't go to Baku. I'd been to Baku the year before, but that uh, but skipped the Olympiad uh, most recently. But yeah, it's a great festival atmosphere. You never see so many uh, countries uh, together at a chess yeah. tournament. Uh, that's that's for sure. There's a there's a lot of uh, lot of shenanigans that go on uh, <laughs> behind the word. scenes, especially especially with some of the lower rated teams who have obviously got no prospects. You know, they like to get involved. You're and, talking about the B tournament. The B tournament, yeah. <laughs> the B tournament is is often. Very we, highly contested by. We, we got to mention this B tournament more because even when yeah. I I played in a you know a lot of the world junior events and I remember the world under twenty championships they they had the A tournament which is the chess the B yeah. tournament which people actually seem more interested in which was yeah. should we say shenanigans and yeah. the the C tournament which I think was to do with drinking so you had right. you had about three different tournaments going on actually right. Um, and it's yeah, and there was scorecards up on a lot of the teams' walls. And oh, everything yeah. is uh, <laughs> it gets it gets funky. Yeah, it gets funky. Well, of course, it's also one of the rare chess tournaments. I mean, maybe it's unique actually that the in terms of the players, at least the uh, the number of men and women is is the same. 
Right. Um, and that's, that hasn't always been true, but that's been true in, in uh, at least all, all the years that I've been going to the Olympiad. Uh, and so that makes for a very uh, uh, unique environment as far as chess tournaments goes. A nice environment. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the women's Olympiad uh, briefly as well, because here I think even though on paper the rating average of Russia is considerably higher than number two Ukraine, which is uh, what, 25-23 uh, versus 24-86. It's a little bit, in a way, hard, uh, much more up in the air. I think there are a lot of teams that could actually uh, be uh, t you know, taking from the top uh, 10, let's say, that could be in contention for medals this year. Um, yeah, I mean, with the women's, I mean, you, Russia, Russia will always place somewhere. We just don't know where. If they're really on form, they're just going to cruise because they are just that much stronger. Well, except they didn't last time. They they just missed out on the medals last time. Yeah, they just missed out on the medals last time. I mean, for me, uh, you know, you you got Russia, Ukraine, China, and Georgia. You know, these four are, are normally the big four. But I think this year, the the outsider for me that's really interesting is Kazakhstan. I think they are. Uh, they have a group of very young, talented uh, women, uh, starting with um, uh, Sada Kosova, who's their board one, 24-74, not bad. And then they've got the, the young phenom, Abdul Malik, who is, I think she's only, what is she, like 16 or 17? She's 18, rated 24-82. I remember seeing her uh, in person, being very impressed. So they've got these two as their first top two boards. And then after that, they've got a very, very decent uh, board three in Nagbayeva uh, at 23.94. So they've got the, the top three boards that are very dangerous. And then they've got a probably a very underrated board four. So if I had to pick my dark horse, I'd go for Kazakhstan and then maybe India. You know, shout out to my good friend Tanya Sachdev. Because you never know, Simon. India, they've got Jakob Agard this year, and it seems like they've done a lot of work. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know? just to say about Jakob, he's the guy behind quality chess, and uh, he's he's been putting on some training camps, and he's he's known to be a fantastic trainer. And obviously, India are taking it very seriously. And uh, again, you can just tell from sort of social media, Twitter and stuff like that, that they got this great team spirit. Uh, going on. I mean, I'm going to actually punt another team. But just before you leave India, we should we just have to mention also that they've got Humpy Konero yeah, coming Humpy's back. back. Humpy's yeah, back. Humpy. Yeah, yeah. After several years of yeah. being an actor. Humpy Pumpy. Humpy. Yeah. Humpy, Humpy so is back. Is that, Between, is that, yeah, what, I mean, where did that nickname come got, from? Humpy Pumpy. <laughs> did you just make that up, Loz? I just made it up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can remember. It, I can it, remember it when she it dies. It, it might have to die quickly. Uh, no, Humpy's <laughs> an amazing player. She used to come over here, didn't she? Well, uh, I, here, I do when... remember there was some rumours going on. I mean, like she won the, I don't know, the women's world championships, and it wasn't me, but it was some other people saying she's clearly a lot older. Than she is, yeah. and uh, there was all these horrible rumors going on that she was actually like in her twenties when she was actually fifteen. But she's yeah. just a fantastic player, you know. And uh, she, nah, she's, she's a, a rock, amazing. A rock. She's a rock. She's she's a rock. great board one. And then they've got Harika who just got married. Yeah. So yeah. she'll be in good spirits on board too. Yeah. So I think they're India well. are going to. They're, they're going to. Well. Yeah, they're going to. They're going to have a little punt yeah. this year. They will do. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was actually going to. I was actually going to punt France in actual fact. France women's team, uh, yeah, which is a bit—it's a bit like controversial because they're not where yeah. they're not really one of the—they're not mm. one of the sort of big, should we say, Eastern European teams or Indian teams. But I, I just looking at their players, I think they're quite—they've got a mix of experience, and 
Um, you know, I youth. think they, they, I think they, yeah, youth. I think they might do all right actually, just as a little punt. That's a real outrageous punt. That's actually. a re- that's an outrageous. It punt. is an outrageous punt. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're going to win it, but I think they do well. Nah, that's my little uh, outrageous punt. We'll see. We'll mm. see. So Poland, yeah, the Polish women are always there. They've got a very good young, solid team. They've got basically a, a whole bunch of twenty four hundred spearheaded by. Uh, Monica Sochko at the top, and then you've got, uh, you know, Claudia Kulon, very do, young. Do you know one thing that always puts me off Poland? I, yeah. There was this story where, was it Monica Sochko in the, yeah. um, I think it was in the Women's Knockout World Championships, and she played on in a position to flag her opponent in, was it King and Knight versus King and Knight? Have I got that right? And, uh, I don't know. And the, I don't know about that. It, I don't know the story. Yeah. I think the rules were at the time that if you could set up checkmate on the board, then you can <laughs> play on. So literally, she played on, and I don't think it was increment, with king and knight versus king and knight. Her opponent saying, what are you That's doing? Offer nasty. a draw. And she just played on to flag her opponent. Is that the rules' That's fault or nasty. is that her fault? I, I don't know, but for me, that that, that just was always, always put. Well, me if off that's there. true, that's you know? nasty. Yeah. That's nasty. If that's yeah. true, I've probably got the wrong person now. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get sued, mate. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get a letter through the post. Oh, dear. oh well. Well, speaking of getting sued, yeah. Uh, of course, the uh, we, we, the other the C tur- the D tournament, whatever <laughs> the D tournament, <laughs> the, the F tournament, I'd yeah, say. definitely the, the F the tournament, perhaps uh, yeah. is the uh, FIDE election, uh, which is uh, only every four years. So uh, the last time was was in Tromsø, twenty fourteen, and uh, this year it's uh, it's. Particularly interesting in that uh, it really seems a bit up in the air. The incumbent, if well, this this is this is another. It's it's even difficult to describe because you have the the incumbent is is uh, Georgios Makropoulos, uh, who's been in FIDE for decades, uh, and uh, as the deputy president to Ilyushinov. But he's not the only one who has ties to uh, to the Ilyushinov legacy. His his chief opponent Arkady Dvorkovich, uh, has been clearly. Promoted by the uh, by the Russian uh, Federation uh, heavily and has a lot of Illuminov's old cronies uh, associated with him as well. And so, between the two of them, they are are really uh, fighting it out, duking it out uh, tooth and nail, uh, heading into to the the last week of campaigning. I don't know. This is obviously a very important time for for chess and where we're going. Look, I've tried to stay away from politics as much as possible recently because. I don't know. There's just so much. Who do you want to win, Loz? I don't really know. Mate, I'll be honest with you. I don't really know. But one thing I do know is that I think the most important thing that's happened in this election race has been the the joining of forces between Nigel and uh, Dvorkovich. Now, let's mm. let's explore that a little. Because yes. what does that actually mean? I mean, I've seen he's tweeting himself what does it mean? at Simpsons and the well, Strand. Well, well, this, this is what I think, and this is all interpretation. This is what I think. Nigel effectively realized that he's never, ever going to win the election, yeah. right, on his own, with his own team. And due to his hatred for the current status quo and whoever's in FIDE, he... he believed that with his number of votes however they however many they may be let's call it 30 let's call it 20 let's say he canvassed and managed to get a few african delegations because he was he's got good relations with africa and so on and so forth remember each vote is worth one he knows he can't win so basically he goes to tvorkovic and says look mate you're not going to win this if i take these 20 votes macropolis is going to have this many votes so 
what if I were to promise you the votes that I've already won, we team up, and in return, you promise me something. So some kind of position within FIDE of power, basically. That's what I think Nigel has probably done, which is what you would do. It's a smart move, and it's what happens in politics all the time. If you're a fringe party in politics and you want to have some kind, you want to grow your profile. Doesn't it show a bit of lack of morals well, as he's campaigning? Politics, by definition, is a lack of morals. Doesn't I mean, have to be. I is, thought his whole, the whole point behind his campaign is to clear, clear that up. Um, and to to you know get rid of any shenanigans as you as you'd say. Wow. I mean, uh, you can you can paint it however you like, but reality is just a whole different thing, isn't it? Well, okay, it, it could be. When I first started seeing some of the the tweets of uh, handshakes and so on, he's been obviously been very coy about it. I uh, tried to get actually get an interview with him, but haven't managed to to work it out yet. You know, it could be a generous interpretation could be that it's sort of the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation. Um, yeah. He's not actually withdrawing from the race. He's not formally, you know, throwing his support to Dorkovich in some way. He's just basically well, been saying that they've been talking, showing no, that they've but been I mean, it's it's more. I mean, it's clearly more than that. I mean, you don't you don't handshake with another person who's in the same race as you if uh, if you're not actually planning to to join forces. So I, I mean, that for me is what's going on. But then why not join forces? I mean, why not say, okay, I'm going to have, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to have the position I'm supporting in more overt terms. Well, because that's because uh, I think then it would uh, perhaps jeopardize the existing votes. I don't know. I think he'll just do it afterwards. I think he'll get the votes. I think he'll use he will use those votes to help Dvorkovich to get. I mean, in. I want I wonder if 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 somehow Nigel did win. Uh, and he was actually, you know, put into the position as, you know, this this guy in charge of FIDE for four years. Would he actually be able to do that job? I mean, as, I think he's kind of no. thrown himself completely in the deep end in a blind thing, maybe a fit of rage, sort of understandably, because the old FIDE, the way FIDE was run, was, we know, very crooked. But if he actually did win and he was in charge, what would he do? I think it would be very difficult for him uh, unless he, he joined teams with someone or got some support himself. I mean... Look, I mean, ni- ni- look, we all, we all know Nigel and he's a great chess player and he's a great entertainer. And, you know, you've got to have a certain... Um, how to put this? You've got to take Nigel with a pinch of salt sometimes. Yeah. Um, but running a huge organisation, which has such a complex structure... Uh, and somebody who is, let's be honest, a chess player who's never run anything in his life. I think you need somebody with a bit more political experience, a bit more organizational experience. Um, and that's where Dvorkovich, who obviously was vice president of, of the Russian Federation and has run other things. I think he was part of the FIDE FIFA. FIFA, yeah. sorry, uh, bringing FIFA. He was heading and the FIFA. He was or, heading it. Not, not FIFA, but heading the Russian organization. Organization. So, th- mm. I mean, with you know, regardless of what you think of it, links to the Kremlin and, you know, even that kind of narrative is. Well, kind F- of, FIFA aren't you know, whatever scot free either. FIFA have a terrible. No, no, record. but what, 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 what I'm trying to say is the point is that the guy has obviously managed He's to got do experience. the job. The, the yeah, he's got experience. The Russia, the World Cup in Russia, the f- football World Cup w- was a success. He will already have links to sponsors, and it could theoretically work out very well for chess. It will work out much better for the immediate Russian chess uh, situation, 
But you never know, it might trickle down and we might... All, I mean, my, you know. my personal view is a bit similar to yours, I think, Lars. Like, you know, I, I think it's... I don't really want to get involved too much with the politics because it's always up and down, same with the English Chess Federation. But in some ways, I want Marco to win, but only for one particular... Marco. Macro. 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 Marco. Who's Marco? Macro. Marco. Say, 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 say <laughs> that again. Marco's... Marco. Mar- Hold on. Mar- Mar- Marco's the guy who cooks your uh, your linguine on it when He's you go down... Uh, yeah. Down... Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I want Macro yeah. to win. Just, just for one particular reason uh, not that I like macro not that I think he's you know done anything great or anything like that but it's because of uh, Malcolm Payne and Malcolm Payne yeah. who is the driving force behind the London Chess Classic who basically made this work without the English Chess Federation's help and made a brilliant event there and has done so many great things I think chess and bridge sure. I mean just and also I like the guy I'll be honest I think he's a good guy um, if you know Macro does win, then Malcolm said he will run um, for uh, basically this this position in four years' time, and I I think in four years' time, someone like Malcolm would be a brilliant brilliant president or FIDE. You know, I think he'd do a great job. And the only the only way he'd he'd run is if if Macro I I believe if Macro did actually win this election. Uh, I don't think there's any other way that Malcolm would be able to run. And I'm just looking for the future. I, I'd love to see Malcolm in charge of FIDE, personally. I mean, uh, just because of what he's done in the past and known him personally as well. So that's my one sort of reason at the moment to like, you know, to sort of vote this way. But I also, you know, don't really, I'm not really that fond of uh, Macro either, you know, so uh, so it's tough. You know, I think they've all got negatives about them, you know, as well. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting because, of course, when Malcolm decided to join uh, as the deputy president candidate, it was before Dvorkovich was in the picture, and uh, he and Macropolis were, were basically teaming up against Ilumzhinov, who was still in the race at that point. Um, in retrospect, once Dvorkovich uh, got into the race and started to gain some traction, it seems to me that uh, Malcolm being an asset to Macropolis was even more magnified. I mean, I think probably Macropolis would be in much bigger trouble than he already is in terms of it being a close election if Malcolm was not uh, on the ticket for the, some of the reasons that you're articulating. Um, and the and and of course they are still i mean their sort of main argument still is um is to try to uh, to say that that uh, to point to instances of overt corruption vote buying from the Dvorkovich campaign um and again this is the kind of thing that that you can disappear down a rabbit hole uh, trying to look into in any detail and it's also a, a partly a question of interpretation you know <laughs> whether the the russian diplomatic uh, sen- uh corps sending letters to chess federation saying oh by the way we have this great candidate for for fide wouldn't you like to support them uh constitutes uh, uh you know corruption in in the sort of ordinary sense of the word uh, would be debatable. Obviously, if you're saying here's forty thousand euros, if you will support our candidate, yeah. then that's that's a different a different level. But it's also, of course, a very difficult case for um, Macropolis to make, even with someone who generally has a very clean reputation like Malcolm does. Given that Macropolis has had his long association with Ilimshinov, who was for whom the same yeah. kinds of allegations were led. I mean, I think I think Malcolm's been very unlucky in a way to, like you say, he's 
put himself in this position and then all these things have come after that, you know, like uh, the Russian support and things like that. But I, I just love to see Malcolm basically up in a, a top role um, in FIDE because, you know, I, I think he's one guy we can trust and there's not many of them about. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's very hard to trust people in FIDE, um, I think. Well, this brings me to my sort of number one point and the thing that I, that I think more people should really focus on now, regardless of the outcome of the election. All of the candidates uh, were in favor and have been from the, from the start of term limiting the president. Mm. And even that just small reform, if yeah. they could actually get it through the General Assembly, you know, immediately, like this year, uh, could have a, a very positive effect long term because it would make it impossible to have the situation that we had with Ilimshinov being, you know, in power since the 90s. Um, and so I think, yeah, pretty much one of the big missions of anybody who's who has any influence in following the political process in FIDE should be to to try to make sure that that doesn't just become a campaign promise that disappears as soon as someone is elected, but actually is enacted in the FIDE statutes. Yeah, I'd like to see a few more promises kept. I mean, I remember being in Tromso with you, Macaulay, um, when we were doing the webcast, which was a really great experience. And it was a great Olympiad. And I remember, you know, the final day when, you know, the, the votes are being cast and, you know, you're in the assembly and you've got Ilumzhinov saying... You know, no, I will promise 20 million and we will do this. And, well, know, wait, this wait, is... but th we have to set this up because yeah. this came right after Kasparov, who had Rex Singfield there with yes. him, pledged $10 million yes. to FIDE yes. if, if they were elected. Yes. And then Kirsan got up and said, oh, you – no, it was in the first year or yes. something like that. And then Kirsan said, oh, I can pledge $20 million yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. But now, yeah, I mean, it, this is one of these great, great yeah. historical it's ironies. It's Trumpesque. But, but listen, they were ma basically making a mockery yeah. of this promise and yeah. saying that this was a, a BS promise. Yeah. And in fact, there's a great piece of tape of Macropolis saying exactly that. Kersan was, was, was saying, he, according to Macropolis, I can out bullshit you, basically. Right, okay. he, in, they were acknowledging at the time in yeah. Tromso that Kersan's promise was nothing more than bullshit. Right. <laughs> but... We can see very clearly that Rex Singfield's promise was not bullshit. No, that's... he just gave fifty million dollars to St. Louis University. I know, I know. And, and, and and so that's five times more than this than this promise was yeah. from, from from Fide. And you know that that was legitimate. No, of course it's legitimate. Right. I mean, so Rex... so it's 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 in a way it's such a it's such an irony that that they were able to to kind of cast aspersions on this as being a, a you know a, a nonsensical promise. And then, of course, completely ignore it and pay no political price whatsoever for that. Well, I mean, it's it's he's not the first and he's not the last to do that. But it was just so disgusting, and unfortunately, uh, the corruption is real. The, the the corruption is real, and the you know the the handouts are real, and uh, that's always been a huge problem. And it's a dirty, dirty game. But there's politics in general. But you know, this FIDE politics stuff is filthy as well. And um, I'm not sure how much that's going to change. I mean, I hope it does change. I hope people aren't taking backhanders to, you know, to sway the result. And I hope we get, I mean, it's, whatever happens, it's going to be extremely interesting. And I just hope that there is some positive new start for FIDE. I always say as well, there's one thing that I think uh, is overlooked in all of this chaos. I think the top players, and I'm, I am talking about Magnus, and I am talking about Fabiano, and I am talking about some of the others, have got real sway. You know, they've got real sway. They are the the faces of this 
of this game. And well, they certainly aren't coming out and taking any. They positions. don't take sides, but I'm just saying in general, like if there's something so blatantly bad about the organization which effectively makes you who you are. I think that they should step up. I mean, if you look at other sports, well, I think they, I think they're a bit wimpish. Well, yeah, some of the top. I mean, they let's just, just let's just be honest. It's not I that mean, they're, not, I, I, it's not that they're wimpish. Sorry, do you know what it is? They just can't well, be bothered to get involved. They can't be bothered. Well, it's a lot of hassle. Let's take it's a lot let's of hassle. Take the, let's take the blitz and rapid, which yeah. I know we talked about before. Yeah. World Championships in Saudi Arabia. Um, from the top players, the, the only one who who really. You know, in the men's, who stuck his neck out was Hikaru Nakamura. Yeah. In the women's, oh, let me get this right. It was I want to give her credit as well because she deserves the credit for not playing when she was one of the favourites. It's one of the sisters. Can you let me know who it is? The name. It was Muzichuk. Annie Muzichuk. And they stuck their neck out when they didn't need to. They probably they could have sacrificed millions of prize money, and they said, "All right, we're not playing. We don't believe in playing." And they they made a stance and. This year, there's some uh, talk that, again, it's going to be held in Saudi Arabia. I heard it's just it's not going to... I mean, my, my understanding is it's just not going to happen. Well, it yet. could also depend heavily yeah. on the election. It could, I, I mean, mean yeah, this exactly. is one of the on fascinating the things exactly. about this. There's so much yeah. geopolitics in yeah. play, especially in the Middle yeah, East. Right, yeah. Yeah. If you look at the yeah. alliances, the sort of, you know, uh, Western-UK yeah. alliances right now is with the Saudis, you yeah. know, and uh, and then the you've got on Dvorkovich campaign, you've got uh, the wife of... the Qatari wife of, of uh, uh, Zuchen. Yeah, of, yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of a Qatari Moriaki. Yes. Uh, actually, she's also Qatari because she's been living in, mm-hmm. in Qatar for, for many years. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and they're broadly, you know, sort of on mm. the other side of the the, the uh, pan, uh, you know, uh, the, the Persian Gulf divide uh, with mm. with Iran. <laughs> you know, so I agree. I mean, I think I think the point is, you know, the main point I was trying to make is that. Just the fact that you know these two players, Hikaru and Mizuchuk, uh, said something yeah. uh, uh, to me was was a really good thing to do, and uh, I think that more, these players, you say, Lawrence, have a big sway. I think they if do. They can, if they get involved, they can change and I think things for other, the better. In other sports, when you know in chess, we've got the Professional Chess Association. Rum. You mean the Association of Chess Professionals? Sorry, the Association of Chess Professionals. But but there's a question: Do they? How much are they really speaking for the, some of the top players? Well, exactly. So I mean, that's an that's an entirely different question. I do know that they do some good things, and I do believe Satovsky does have some good ideas. Nevertheless, when I look at tennis, especially when I look at tennis, or when I look at football to a certain extent, but tennis especially, the players really, the top players really do help mould the future of the game. They are not only from a, you know, as as role models to younger people, but they are actually physically involved with the structuring of tournaments, um, with the structuring of of you know how how the sport should really be progressing. And in chess, it's just not the case. I mean, Magnus and Fabi and the other top players are just not at that round table either through not wanting to themselves. Or because actually the existing structure means that they can't, right? That actually FIDE don't want these players to, to be able to actually have any sway because it could be a conflict of interest for them. Well, the, the, the world champion and the women's world champion are members of the presidential board. But they, they never could g- vote. I know. They could vote, but they never go. I know. I mean, Why, not? They, they, Why not? Well, that's the whole point is because there's, for whatever, for whatever reason, chess players, look, bottom line is me, Simon will agree, chess players are lazy. They're lazy. Yeah. And they've got basically a cushy situation. I, and I love Magnus more than anybody. 
you know, I'm a huge fan of Magnus. I'm good. I mean, I can totally understand. I can totally understand the point of view as well. Um, as in, we we said earlier, Lawrence, we don't really care for the politics. We don't really want to get involved as such. Um, I mean, we can't maybe do. We, we're giving our views here, but I can understand their point of view. Is that they have got a cushy position. They don't want to upset the boat. They don't want to make any ripples when they don't need to. But it would be great to see them making ripples. Yeah, it would. I mean, and I mean, and I think the point is. Uh, you know, apart from, you know, they just don't want to get involved. I can understand as also from what they don't want to get involved in the palaver and the, the, the filth and the dirt of the politics. I understand that. What you need is somebody who is able to do that, but at the same time who has got what I would like to call some level of diplomatic ability. So when GK was world champion, they broke away, obviously with Nigel, formed the... Uh, professional professional chess association. chess association, which is what I said before, and that went belly up for reasons that are well documented. What you need is you need a world champion, a figurehead of the sport, who's actually able to have you know a uh, level-headed diplomatic discussion. And maybe Magnus is just too young for that. Maybe at the moment he's just you know I don't know. But what what I do know is that the sport suffers when when the, the top guys are not actively influencing the uh, the progress and development of the sport. That's that's really key, in my opinion. And that's where other sports have got an advantage. Well, we, we can say that the, the ACP, the Association of Chess Professionals, has endorsed Dvorkovic, uh, and that was apparently a, uni- a unanimous decision of their board. But as far as I'm aware, they didn't do any kind of polling of their membership or have any kind of a of a democratic process from the, the players yeah. to uh, to contribute to that decision. Uh, I mean, decision. It, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not sure how how important their their vote is um you know they them endorsing a candidate doesn't doesn't really yeah but i mean if you're if if you're not going to do it as an individual player then doing it through your you know that's the closest thing you yeah. have to a uh, to a sort of a lobbying organization yeah, yeah. for players um and so yeah the question is does do, do the players actually get involved do they do they even want to be involved yeah. There, but they also, of course, yeah. So you're, what you're saying is you're saying there needs to be a little bit more responsibility taken by I the, think so. the players. Who I, are... I think they've got it. I think they've. I've said this for, for even when I was working with Fabi. I, you know, I say this freely. They're prima donnas, and they are, they are given way too much of an easy ride. I think one of the main problems which you mentioned earlier, Lawrence, is that chess players in general feel very entitled yes they have this Precisely. sense of entitlement yes. that they think just because they're a grandmaster and they, they they're good at chess that everything should fall into place for them and they kind of live in a different world to the normal sort of normal world in a lot of ways i mean even though you're a gm even though you're this and that you still have to work and you still got a, a role to play agreed and this sense of entitlement you know it, it's really, it's I just huge. noticed it in the chess world. Oh, it's I mean, huge. just it's massive. It's people, massive. People think they, they deserve a lot because they're a grandmaster. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell it's you a crazy. quick story. I'm going to tell you a quick story. I'm not going to name this person, but I remember talking to one of the very best players in the world who didn't get an invite one year to a very top tournament. We're talking one of the, let's talk at one of the super tournaments. I was speaking to this person and I said, look, you know, are you playing here? She said, no, I didn't get an invite, but I really wanted to play. I said, okay. I said, well, why, you know, why didn't you reach out to them? I said, well, 
me reach out to them, they should be reaching out to me. And I just thought, hold on a second. You're one of 12, 13 players in the world around, you know, Magnus aside. Yes, you you have to invite Magnus. Probably you have to invite everybody over 2,800, fair enough. But let's say you're in that 2,750 to 2,790 region. I just thought, why do you, why do you deserve an invite? Why should they be reaching out to you above the other guys who are of a similar level? If you so badly want to play in a tournament, all you need to do is have with your management team or whoever can run your emails and affairs, which I'm sure most of these guys have. Just need to send an email. Just send an email. Just say, hi, X, <laughs> uh, you know, oh, I, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love to play this year's edition. Let me know if that's possible. And then if they get back to you, then you start negotiations. But to have this is, is exactly what you said, Simon. It's a sense of an entitlement. They think they've worked so hard, and a lot of them have, and they deserve a lot of credit for where they've got. They do. But they there's do. such a lack of professionalism in that sense in chess. Um, I've been an ad, I, I, you know, I've been an advocate for all of these players. They all need a team of people because they're all, you know, they just don't know how to do things. Um, I mean, I think obviously some of them are much better than others, but a lot of them just because of the nature of game, nature of chess, they they do need someone to to do the social things, as in contacting contacting people on their behalf, and they they need this team behind them. But even a sense of entitlement, which you mentioned a case at the top of chess. It seems to trickle down a long way down into throughout chess. I mean, I know many IMs, grandmasters who who are you know they're they're just sort of average IMs and grandmasters, and they they assume again because they're titled that you know things should happen to them without doing anything themselves. And I'm not really sure why this is. I mean. I know yourself, Lawrence. You're an extremely hard worker, and uh, am I? This is why you've been so successful. Well, you you are compared. To, if I if I compare you to other chess players, <laughs> then uh, you're a hard worker. Whatever that means, I'm not know, sure. Do you know what would but, happen uh, if I would? I'd be more successful if my if if the flipping markets weren't manipulated left, right, and center every day. Then I'd t- then oh. I'd tell you what. Then we'd be talking about different things. Huh, Macaulay? Huh? You'd be talking about your Bitcoin tournament then, would you? Well, I've still got the aspiration to do that. You know I'm doing that. <laughs> of course that. you have. We spoke about this, yeah, right? Yeah, the first yeah, ever yeah. Bitcoin tournament. I, I will do that. The last if I If I make a bunch, a real bunch, I'm gonna definitely going to have like one Bitcoin first, yeah. half second. I'm, are you up for that, Soy? Yeah, yeah, why not? I mean... Uh, Let's see if we can spin it up. Huh? I'm, I'm always up for trying new things out. And uh, I mean, at the moment, obviously, I'm trying to concentrate on getting this London Chess Festival thing going, but maybe we'll talk about that another time because that's a lot of lot, lot going on there. But I do have to throw that in yeah, at the moment. So, uh, but yeah, there's all stuff going on. It's nice to have new ideas and to punt stuff. It's, it's exciting. Yeah, let's try to do another show after the Olympiad, after the election, before the World Championship, and uh, and because there'll be a lot of stuff to talk about. And so we're gonna leave it there for today. Just on the way out, uh, think of it as a palate cleanser. We've got. Uh, some excerpts from a chess song, which is a serious chess song. I mean, it's got real chess content in it. It's by a real chess fanatic uh, who goes by Yuga, yeah, Yuga de Prima. Know, yeah. And uh, this is called O Capablanca, and it's inspired by a chess game. It's brilliant. Beautiful. Yeah. And uh, there's a, this was, has been making the rounds in a, a version on YouTube for a couple of weeks, but now there's a brand new acoustic version, which has just dropped. And we'll talk to you guys again soon. All right. Take care, Cheers. guys. Enjoy. He played Carol Khan 
His rating was higher But from move 17 The king said was mine Took my chances fast My rook was a knife was gold His bishop was small With no town pressure I'd crush him once and for all I gave up my good night But that don't mean a thing He has more experience But I won't lose again Do you think that Kirsant wants to find today 220 20 millions? How much? For God, 220 millions. Today, today, to today, today, yes, today. Not tomorrow, today. Yes. Huh? I think. We that hope. I I think Kirsant what exactly he said to Gary on that moment because Gary before he started saying 10 millions and this and this tomorrow. So what Kirsan told him there is, Gary, if you want to bullshit, I can bullshit better. <laughs>